Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. You'll have to take my word for this, but I am Mike Casaza. Chris Anderson joins me this morning, as always, on a Tuesday to go over questions and answers from subscribers. Whatever we don't get to in our oh, usually hour-long conversation ends up online in the printed version. And Chris, a rare occasion here where we're not going to spend, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes talking about the big thing or the two big things that have happened because I'm going to, I'm going to look around my office when I say this. So in case anybody's looking, but not, not a whole lot has happened last since the last time we talked. <laughs> well, I guess that means something's going to happen in the next couple hours. Maybe um, it's usually how it goes, but yeah, not, not too much going on. Spring has ended. And I, for me personally, and I guess we saw it at other schools, like at Michigan State, I think there was like six transfers in like 24 hours. That that post-spring exodus, that's a thing. It, it, it was happening before the transfer portal was a thing. And so I was expecting, here we go. Here comes, you know, a, a bunch more departures. Who knows how many it could be because th- there's always guys that are sophomores juniors seniors that are second third on the depth chart and and with a one-time transfer they might put their name in and and give it a try even more than usual and yeah there was some certainly um pooler uh randy fields a day later but so far that's it i mean there's still time for that that's it's far from over but uh, i was kind of expecting you know four five six you know not not anybody specific but somewhere in that range of numbers like within 48 hours of spring ball ending. Yeah. So let me counterpoint you here. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of guys left, right? <laughs> they've, they've had some people that you thought might transfer who have transferred and who are surprises who've transferred. And then they had big numbers last year and they've had a big number this year too. So not to say that like it can't happen, but it already kind of has happened. I would say this too, that with the semester ending, um, you'll have players who universally not, not combined here, um, maybe they're not eligible. They have an issue, and they're out. Um, you might see stuff like that. Again, not just at West Virginia, but this is a time of year where that also people get to go home for that that quick break in between the end of the semester and the start of the, you know, the summer semester, which is what May, you know, the seven seventeenth. Is that right? Seventeenth. Yep. That's when you expect to see Charles Woods. That's uh, right. <laughs> so you'll, That's you'll when, get he, when he gave it away that he was transferring he had to pick a new school soon because he had to transfer to his new school with their summer session that started may 17th and you look and the other schools he's talking about they don't have a summer session that starts may 17th but there's west virginia's right there so you got uh you know depending on when your finals end, you know more than a week or so to go home and do something before you come back and then some people are home maybe a little bit longer because they don't start until the the june date um you might get people who just go home and like, I'm not happy, and they talk to their mom and dad and their eyes open. So th- there could be some more. There's there's like a fluid list that I know I keep, I think you do too, of people that you've heard about or you think may happen. I'll be honest with you. There's one, maybe two names. Um, and at this point, I would kind of be surprised if one or both left. So that's interesting. And no, I'm not going to name it, but like my point is that um, I-, I do think you're probably right. There might not be a whole lot and that you might have thought there was going to be more. So... For all this, I don't know, fretting, hand-wringing about players who are leaving, um, and there's been a bunch, then you get into that debate about the quantity of the player versus the quality of the players. They, maybe they've done a good job keeping some people on who, 
who could have been jaded or unhappy and maybe wanted to leave, but perhaps that happens too. Um, let's talk about the two that did leave. One, to start with Fields, nothing against him. He's just kind of a guy for the last couple of years was pretty active on special teams in 2019. I think he played one game. I think he played the opener last year, and that was it. But that was a guy they kind of liked because he played at that really good program in Baltimore, um, St. Francis. I think Logan Holgerson was his quarterback for a little bit, and they saw him and said, wow, this guy's good. Caught 20 touchdowns his final two years. Looked like he was going to be good, but never really did a whole lot here. Um, Pooler was the the stunner, I would say, probably above Sean Miller when you're talking about the wow. It's because of how how sudden and unexpected it was. Here's a guy who went out of his way to commit himself to one more year with the Mountaineers, and then not even three months later, he goes, eh, I'm out. Thoughts on either one of those two? Uh, I think Fields is a name that's been bantered about by, you know, members on our message board as a likely departure for, for obvious reasons. I mean, again, like you said, nothing against Fields. It's just that when you're a junior, a senior, and you're third on the depth chart, you know, it's time to look around, find a place where, where you, where you want to play and, and you can try to play. And I think that's what he's doing. And, and that's what, that's truly what the portal's for is for situations like that. That's, that, that's everybody understands those kind of moves. Uh, the pooler one, I think that was stunning um, for all the reasons you said, like uh, there doesn't seem to be any clear, you know, you know indication that he was going to lose his starting job. Uh, he was, um, he went again, he, he was supposed to graduate and went out of his way to make a big announcement. Uh, he was going to make it earlier and then waited till he was getting back to school and had graphics made and a date set and all this stuff. And, set it up that I'm coming back for one more big year for West Virginia. And then a couple months later, like you said, it's just, it's just gone. And immediately I was like, this, this is the one that's fishy. This is the one that's something happened. And I reached out right away. I put it on the board. I reached out right away to, to, to talk to Pooler. I said, you know, Hey, is there a story here? And he was very adamant that there was no story. There was no hard feelings. Everything was good with his staff. And he just swore up and down that, um, you know, he was, he was moving on and that's fine to do that. I mean, I don't, don't know if I entirely believe that. I mean, we're, it's not that I don't believe what he says, but we're not going to rest on that. Just like, uh, you know, I said on the board, just, just like we didn't rest when Derek Culver said, bro, that's fake news. Mm. Um, you know, we'll keep looking, but I, that it could just be that it could just be, you know, that's what's going on. I mean, ever since since that moment, since the moment that he said he was coming back, there have been a couple coaching changes. He did kind of sort of get a new position coach. Uh, I mean, I guess he did with with Andrew Jackson as a defensive line coach. Obviously, Jordan Leslie's still there, but some things have changed. Uh, you know, that's changed. Um, a couple other players have left. So who who knows what else has changed? But uh, it, it it was shocking. Let's keep looking into it, but he he swore up and down nothing was wrong and just wanted a new start and still loves the coaching staff. So okay, it's it's not a hundred percent he's gone. It's like ninety, right? Because that's a guy that I wonder. He has no all conference honors, doesn't have like profound stats, and I wonder if he gets into the portal and doesn't get a lot of recognition and says, "Hey AJ, can I can I maybe have a conversation with you?" And I think they would take him back, but I mean he would be lower in the totem pole. But I, I wonder if he ends up in a Power Five program. That's that's interesting to me too. What's curious is that he didn't practice the final. The last two times the media was there, he was not in green even. 
he just wasn't practicing, which is strange because that precedes him up and leaving out of nowhere, too. And so something is weird there. Um, he was the third lowest ranked recruit in his recruiting class, 2016, among scholarship players. The only ones who below him were Jacquez Adams and Giovanni Stewart. Uh, Adams transferred. Stewart transferred. Also in that class. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Toya Savory. Injury problems, right? Yep. Dylan Tonkery, your guy, good career. John Young, transfer. Mike Daniels, um, one good year, got an NFL look. Jacob Butchagrassi, injuries. Reese Donahue, uh, solid career. Trayvon Wesco. Logan Timmons, injuries, transfer. Adam Hensley, injuries. Elijah Battle, cornerback. Jake Long, injuries. Josh Sills, injury, transfer. Chase Barron, undrafted free agent. Sean Mahone, stolen the team. Cody Saunders, medically disqualified. Zach Sandwich, injuries. Marcus Sims, sad story. Kenny McCoy, good career. Martel Petaway, Middle Tennessee State. Justin Crawford. Don't Pats. want to talk about that one. Kaiser White. Probably the best in the class, right? Yeah. Steven Smothers, what a career. Brendan Ferns. Injury issues. That is quite a class in 2016. And that was, I mean that that was viewed as one of the best classes. I mean I, I, I and I mean heck, I we work for a site that covers recruiting that gives star rankings, get all this stuff, and there is a very high correlation between high star rankings and on field success. Extremely high correlation. It doesn't mean 100% correlation. It doesn't mean every single player is going to work out. And so you, you want to get – that's why you want to get the quant, a quantity of quality players. You want to get a bunch of four-stars because they have a higher chance of working out. But for so many good players to transfer and get hurt out of this class, out of this one class, that is killer because this was a large class too. Like this was – yeah, this was before they really you know clamped down on that hard cap. And they were getting creative with how to get these guys in, how to get these guys counted. And I mean, and, and you just mentioned that you, you didn't even mention a couple of the guys here at the bottom. Uh, Craig Smith, junior college player, signed a letter of intent. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember if he showed up. Like, I don't even think he, he definitely didn't like make it to the first season. Uh, Brandon Lawless was a guy that committed extremely late, was like reclassifying. I think he showed up for like a day and left mm-hmm. like th- this class was uh i mean you you go back and you start doing those point by point player by player things and, and looking at each one and what well it's got says 30 but a couple of those guys are walk-ons so uh, 28 27 26 you st- still got 28 in this class of, of scholarship players and you're talking a 20 percent hit rate maybe 25 and, and and it's not even that the other guys were like backups and stuff. It was like they're just gone, just not around. Seventy five percent just gone or hurt. That's bad. Let's uh, not ruin everybody's day, but look at twenty eighteen now. <laughs> um, oh no! Because they brought in Cowan as a transfer. That seemed like it was going to be cool. That's very much up in the air. Uh, Jace Rogers or J C Rogers? What do we call him? Oh, I always called him J C. But okay, I think he's at Houston now. But that was a point uh, yeah. that I really liked. And then just bottom up here, um, Mike Brown, pretty mm-hmm. good career considering where he came from. 
Josh Chandler, pretty good career. Joe Brown couldn't play his senior year because of injuries. Tavis Lee hasn't been much. Charlie Benton, first half of his first game, injured, never the same. Tyrese Allen transferred to Moorhead State, no longer on the team. Gamitter, a bizarre 2020, but maybe in position to be good. We mentioned Randy Fields, Bryson Mays, Southern Miss, Sam James, mixed bag. Uh, Keith Washington got himself into the NFL. Bryce Ford Wheaton still here. Dylan Spradling, injuries. Michael Lachlan, um, overcome an injury, still on the team. Trey Lowe, Southern Miss. Blaine Scott, Northern Colorado. Junior Uzebu, Vanderbilt. Letty Brown on the team. Josh Norwood, good career. Um, ended early because of uh, clavicle, right? But yeah. good career, got himself a look at the NFL. TJ Banks on the team. Quantel Reigns, Temple. Dante Stills on the team. Possibly in two years, you know more or less about this one, I guess, but this one is kind of teetering in the same direction. Not as dramatic as 2016, but, and not that Randy Fields, you know, pulls the rug out from underneath it, but um, I'm looking at it. Would Fields have qualified for your blue chip in 2021? Where was he? Yeah. 85 3 2. Yeah. Long guy, yeah. Six, like 6 3, and, and could move and could play and had some good high school stats and a good team, but um, yeah, these things are kind of fickle, but. Well, the the hit rate here is significant too, and a lot of this has happened since the coaching change. So um, that was likely to happen to a class when Holgerson gets guys on campus and coaches them for a year, and Brown comes in, and looks at him, and says, I'm "Not sure about this guy." And similarly, the players have a look and say, "I'm not sure about this guy who's coaching me." So I'm um, going to be turned over, and it looks like I hit this class um, hard. But maybe that isn't a surprise either. I was gonna say, I think it's, I think this one is, this one seems like an all or nothing class, that 2018 class right now. Cause I mean, if you're talking, so you got 22 signees and then you add in Cowan, cause Rogers never, Rogers never made it. He never got academically eligible, never mm-hmm. signed. So I'm not really counting him. Juco, had, right? I'm sorry. He went to Juco, right? Yeah. He went to Juco for a year or two and then ended up at Houston. I think you're right about that like a couple years later. Um, and then Cowan. So we'll say 23. And you're talking ten starters on this year's team out of that out of that twenty three, maybe not nine or ten, and then Good and time. then two guys that were starters in Mike Brown and Josh Norwood, um, and Keith Washington. Excuse me, three and Keith Washington. So if if you're hitting above fifty percent starters in a class, but then you're right. Then like the, the other guys, if they're not starting, they're gone, mm-hmm. and and that's that's where you run into the numbers issue of how many scholarship players do you actually have on the roster right now teetering around teetering around 70 by the way and that and, that might be generous and this group right here again had some guys as 2018 had some guys who maybe made it into the undrafted or into camps whatever but stills letty brown bryce ford wheaton eh, we'll see committer a handful of guys who have a chance, uh, probably Chandler Samito too. So maybe like, you know, there's five guys in this team who may start and maybe five guys who end up in the NFL too. So that's, that's not bad either. So you're right. All or nothing. And again, this may be in two years from now, you have a better answer than you do right now too. Speaking of the draft, one player, uh, Chris, I believe you are the proprietor of this fact. What's the streak that West Virginia has going for the draft? Oh, what is it? Uh, 14 straight years now. I mean, it's it's pretty good. It's second in the second in the Big Twelve Conference behind just Oklahoma. You know, Texas's streak of thirty some years ended a few seasons ago, and Kansas State's streak of twenty six years, I believe it was, ended last year or the year yeah. before. So, uh, West Virginia's still standing. I mean, it, it's I know people get upset when it's only one player or two players and it's late in the draft, but 
it, it's it, teams aren't always going to churn out players like that every single every single year have NFL type guys and and that's why West Virginia you know like I said second in the Big 12 and what well, top top 20 in the in the nation uh, it was 19 teams last year I don't know if all 19 teams got a guy drafted again this year but um, pretty darn good pretty darn good surprised by just one I guess you, you would have set the over under at probably one and a half I would think right yeah, I kind of assume, like, I, I think we had this discussion, you and I, on this podcast months ago, like before the season, maybe, um, of somebody asked us, I think it was, it was, it was on the, in, in the mailbag, somebody asked us who gets drafted first after the year, Dante Stills or Darius Stills, and we both said Dante Stills, if he comes out, mm-hmm. because teams are just so infatuated with, one, measurables, uh, and two, where's the ceiling? I don't want to say Darius Stills is at his ceiling yet, but how much better is he going to get than he is right now? And I think you see some NFL teams look at that and say, you know, this is this is a, this is a, about as far as we can take this kid. And and then they might look at Dante and see a guy that's three inches taller with arms that are four to six inches longer, that's just as strong, but definitely faster, and think, well. I can do some something with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, I, I thought Darius would get drafted like in fifth round, sixth round, somewhere in there. But then again, once you get to start getting to sixth and seventh round, it's, and people say this all the time, and a lot of times it's, it's the people saying it are the ones not getting drafted. But it's true. Once you get to like the fifth, sixth, and seventh round, the salaries for each season are the exact same as undrafted free agents. Mm-hmm. The signing bonus could be slightly less or likely will be slightly less. I mean, not slightly. It is significant. I think Tony Fields, you know, early fifth rounder got 300,000, 320,000 signing bonus. Um, Undrafted free agents. The not so good ones will get zero. The better ones like Stills will probably get 50 to 100, maybe, maybe 50. Um, You know, teams kind of have a pool. So that is a significant chunk of change that you're not getting. But Back in like the seventh round, it's like sixty, seventy thousand. So it's about the same as being drafted in the sixth or seventh round, and and you get out of that contract a year earlier, and you can get to your second contract a year earlier, which is is big, because when you get drafted, you're locked in for four years. Uh, first rounders potentially five. If you're an undrafted free agent, it's only three seasons. So you can get to that second contract earlier, and a lot of people. A lot of those guys that are under the uh, drafted, you know, rookie contracts are really wishing they could get to the second contract after three mm-hmm. years. I would not at all be stunned if, if Stills made the roster. Um, they they have done some. The Raiders have done some weird things. Their defensive line, like they picked um, uh, Pharrell really early, right? And mm-hmm. and kind of saw something there. I'm not saying they're the same person, but like they saw something that maybe others didn't see. But they they've got like a different blend of defensive line in there. But I also think that Stills is going to be just good. He's going to give you good practice reps. He's going to try hard. He's not going to have an attitude. Um, he's going to be extremely confident, like borderline arrogant, because that's the way that he is. Um, massive chip on his shoulder. Watch the Baylor game from 2019. And, and just, just, just until you get to the sideline interview, and you'll understand. Um, I just think he's going to be fine. He's not going to hurt you. I would not be surprised if he made it there. And then if not, there's probably a good enough buzz around him that he ends up on a practice squad somewhere too. And then from there, it's just, can he, like you, like you said, can he grow 
obviously not physically, but like, can he grow to the point where he doesn't hit a ceiling where teams like this guy's already here. This guy who is a year younger, a year older, whatever is going to get above him. We got to pick one of the other upside is going to win there. I don't know. I think it's, it's interesting though, because that's a pretty productive college player who got a lot of awards and did what you're supposed to do. And it's kind of discouraging when a tape measure kind of does it too. Uh, fields. That was a team that really liked him. The Browns. I think that they saw him as like, maybe he's a, Maybe he's a safety and maybe he does like nickel stuff or coverage, or whatever, because he's not he's not NFL linebacker size. But they do some fun stuff with their defensive backs and safeties and linebackers and, and blend things up. And even their their pick from Notre Dame, whose name I'm going to just butcher if I try to say it, is kind of like a hybrid guy, um, kind of like a Sam nickel player, which feels might take some time to transition to. But there's a type and it seems like that that he fits that, too. And he's going to be a productive player, too, who's got. Got some pedigree, but also has a lot of stats and, and runs sideline to sideline and has a chance to probably show up during practices and camping late in scrimmages or late in exhibition games and earn himself a roster spot, too. On the stills thing, did you have you seen my story up this morning? Were you able to read it? Fascinating. I did not know this. Yeah. So that it, Stills was the only consensus All-American to go undrafted this time. But there were uh, 26 of them since the 2000 college football season that went undrafted the year immediately following, um, you know, their consensus All-American honor. So it's, he's, it, it's, it's common. It's, I don't want to say it's common, but it's happened almost every year uh, since the turn of the century. Um, it's almost always offensive linemen or defensive linemen, just because, again, it, you're talking about guys that uh, the NFL is looking at size. You're going to keep seeing guys that are like not even making all conference, but they're, six foot five and 250 pounds instead of, you know, six, one and two ninety, And so they're, they're looking at that kind of stuff. It's almost always offensive lineman, defensive lineman. And the, the bad news for stills is that unfortunately the vast majority of these guys just aren't making it in the NFL. I think, um, you know, the average number of games played throughout their entire career in the NFL was less than seven. And that was kind of inflated by like five guys out of the 26. So, and about half of them never played, never even made an appearance in an official NFL game. So he's got his work cut out for him. But so so does everybody that's that's showing up to a roster right now. Even even late round guys aren't um, always even making the active roster come season time. So um, he, he's got an uphill battle. But like you said, he's got that kind of chip on his shoulder, that attitude of uh, you know get ticked off, and he's going to work hard. And he, I think he, I think he'll stick. I think he'll at least be on a practice roster, I think, at the very least this season. Look at the Raiders roster. Um, I might have mistaken my, my, my teams here because there's some 6'7 and 6'6 six, six guys, but they do have like a 6'1 and a 6'2 defensive tackle, um, third-year players, fifth-year players, and not big. So, like, here's 6'1, 286, Darius Phylon from Arkansas. Um, I don't know. The other Darius is six foot two seventy nine um, from West Virginia. That might be good. By the way, a card game that they're going to have in Oakland. Rasul Douglas, Nick Kwiatkowski, Carl Joseph, and Darius Stills. Mm-hmm. They're pretty good. They're going to have a lot of, uh, well, not East Coast, I guess, but East of <laughs> Iowa State Coast. Hey. Big 12 fans here, I would think. It's a, it's a small world in the big city right there. Um, small talk ended. Should we get into the mag? Let's get, in, let's get into it. I, I right. think, what, how, how far did we get in here before we had answered the first question? 20 minutes? God, yeah. <laughs> fine, fine. Let's do this. All right. <clears throat> well, these are your questions. Again, we we 
you guys submitted a bunch of them. We're going to take a handful of them, discuss them here on the podcast. And then later today, I will have the rest of them answered in written format uh, for our VIP members to read. So be sure to follow up there if you do not hear your question here. Um, let's get started with a pretty straightforward one. We had a couple people ask about this, but this is uh, Yidio Ten's question. What will Huggins do with the last scholarship? Are we still recruiting anyone to fill it? I haven't seen that. Have you? I, I don't think I don't think they're doing anything with it. I haven't heard them link to anybody with it. Yeah. I don't expect them to. I think we we talked about this last time around here of what we would do with it. And we might have agreed on this. I know we, we discussed or I, I mentioned that, hey, if you can find another Senny Njai or Jalen Bridges type, like a, a preferably a forward, because you are going to have a very old um, front court this year. If you can find somebody that can quote unquote redshirt on the fly and learn, that's what I'd do with it. But those guys aren't easy to come by. Get, getting Bridges and Njai like that kind of back to back is is unheard of in college basketball. So I wouldn't count on it, but that's what I'd shoot for. Yeah. I just don't know what you can do right now, not knowing what the other three players are going to do, Sherman, McNeil, and McBride. So that would make me think, if you don't know what you don't know, you go with what you do know, which is that you only have bridges on that wing. And if you can find a 3 and D and you want to do it before a date, then you're going to have to probably do that because that's what you know right now. You only have bridges. You don't know about McBride, Sherman, McNeil. So you can't, for example, take a guard who's like a one slash two or a one or a two. All three of them come back, and then you have Curry, other new guy, Sherman, McNeil, McBride. That doesn't work. So I think that if they're going to do something, it might be along that lines of a Bridges or a guy who's like a 6'8", 205, 3D kind of person. Good luck. Don't know how many of them are out there that are effective. There's been some names that have popped in. It seems like there's one or two ooh, names every week. I'm with you still. If you can find a developmental guy that's good, I would be surprised. I would not be surprised they didn't use it. But here's something, Chris, that I've had a, a coach point out to me, someone who helped mm -hmm. me out with some um, eligibility of transfer questions yesterday. Not at West Virginia, not in the Power Five. The NBA draft rule that lets you go undrafted and return to school. Yeah. A lot of the schools that have a player who goes pro and doesn't get drafted cannot sit around and wait for that player to come back to school. You may have 10, 20, I don't know. You may have a number of players who did not get drafted and who have, due to the new and expanded rules, an ability to come back to college. If you have a scholarship, one, you're rare at that point. And two, you're extremely inviting because if a guy wants to get back into school because the draft didn't go his way and he wants to go to the pros and needs a place to play, if you have a scholarship, you have open arms to get that person on campus. I hadn't thought of that. It's kind of a little used, little known thing because this rule is so new that it hasn't happened yet. And by and large guys who don't get drafted are not coming back to school. But what if you're out there for somebody who thought he had a chance to be a second round person or just didn't like the interest overseas and says, wait a minute, I didn't void my eligibility. I can go back. There's a waiver and all that stuff involved, but there's a way to actually do that. That's another avenue toward talent that I haven't thought about yet. But if you wanted to be frisky and creative I'm not sure that West Virginia can or will do that, but that's another way to get talent on your campus late in the game. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I like it. I'm not opposed to it. I but I just trying to find a fit for this team. I'm with you. I think you know maybe you try to go for that wing type if you can find it. I don't think it's an absolute necessity hmm. unless unless Taz Sherman leaves. You know, I, I think if that happens, then you really need to you know kind of ramp up your efforts to add somebody that can score on the perimeter. Uh, to add another guy. I, I I know they got some guys coming in, but this this is a loaded team that has a chance to do something special. And I think you have to, I don't want to say the window's closing, but strike while the iron's hot. Get whatever pieces you can. You know, freshmen be damned. Like, get a good player if it's available and, and fill in that hole if Tash Sherman decides to go. Yep, agreed. Um. Next question coming from Birch's pad. He's got he's got two two good ones. We'll do this first one here because the second one kind of loops in with another question as well. First, is it just me or has Shane Lyons been a slam dunk AD for WVU during his time? It seems to me that he's been incredibly proactive and forward thinking for us in his time. And I'm curious to hear what you and Mike think of him and the rating you would give. How do you think he compares against past WVU ADs? How much longer do you think we can hold him? I just believe he hasn't made any missteps with us so far and believe he's been amazing in his role during this time. First, do you think that is Shane Lyons' burner account? <laughs> I love the use of adjectives. Um, <laughs> listen, the, the thesaurus is friendly, so I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. You take those words out, I think that's probably a pretty fair and I would say universal evaluation of Lyons. Um, it's just a conversation I have with people in the past year. Uh, what if he's good? which is kind of a weird thing to say, like we said about players and coaches, but like your AD probably should be good. And that, that guy is respected across the country. He's at the front of the table. Like literally he's the chair of significant decision-making and authoritative bodies that have gotten college football through the pandemic. Um, He's, I mean, just that, just that, but he's involved in other things that have to do with uh, oversight guidance legislation. He's, he's a big guy in, in those decisions. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, wow, West Virginia has a pretty remarkable ambassador from their athletic department across college sports right now. Um, is the job working? I don't know. Like, like, yeah, probably Neil Brown looks like it's going to be a good one um, in the, in the short term to the long term. but who knows five years from now, we just don't know, but proactive. Yeah. Got out in front of that scholarship scholarship. The, uh, the contract extension, like we talked about, he's, I think empowered his coaches and probably most especially Brown to do things that they think are best. He's, I think Oliver Luck got a lot of the fundraising and the capital stuff started, 
but someone had to grab the steering wheel and get it to the destination. That's happened. Hiring. I had to look at that one. Stratford's a pretty good hire. It looks like from men's soccer. Neil Brown, we talked about. Um, there, there's, I believe he brought Sunahara in, correct? Mm-hmm. Volleyball coach. So there's there's some good hires there, too. I'm curious, like, what, what would stand out from the traditional, quote-unquote, athletic director job responsibilities? Has he done something so bizarre, unusual, unique, helpful that it distinguishes itself from maybe what his peers do or what an athletic director is supposed to do? I, I thought about this. I'd have to sit down and think about it. I don't know. I, nothing, like, great like that. But that doesn't mean that that's a strike against him. So I think when you look at what he's done for the school, outside of the school, and, and in particular this last year for college sports – Aces can't argue with that. Um, given his coaches what they need and want, everybody, nope. I'm sure. I'm sure there are head coaches who wish they had more and see other sports getting things that they wish they could have. But you also look at like what swimming and diving and what track and cross country have. That's a pretty great facility over there, so that helps. Um, I, I'd have a hard time saying he's been bad at his job. Uh, again, the superlatives and the adjectives. That's not my. That's not my game. I just think he's probably good at what he does and. And when people talk about replacing Huggins, are they going to go from the staff? Are they going to go from the West Virginia coaching tree? I, I think you're crazy if you think Lyon doesn't have a list and isn't going to try to use his rep for all those reasons we just talked about as being coach-friendly and proactive to go out and to try to find someone nationally. I just think that that's kind of what you prime yourself for, and he'll be in position to do that because he's had a really good runway for uh, a pretty long period of time now too. And then just just minor stuff. He's evolved on coaching contracts. To me, that was important, too. He didn't want to do multi-year contracts. He does. Um, he's been there to pay more when the coaches have needed it. That's important. Um, buyouts are, are, I don't know, they're, they're weird to me, but maybe not to him. I just think he's kind of, you've seen him evolve that way a little bit, too. So that means he's listening to, not critics, but I would say peers and, and the industry as to ways you have to get your job done. A little bit different at WVU than Alabama, but he's, I think he's, adapted to even the little things, never mind the big ones that are huge responsibilities that he's taken on. I think all ADs look good when the sports are going well. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I think I could step in at Alabama as athletic director and I would seem like I'm amazing because Alabama won another national championship and, and so on and so forth. And, and, but everything's kind of been thrown through a loop ever since kind of lions arrived. I mean, obviously the stuff with Holgerson, I agreed wholeheartedly with his stand on not doing an extension or doing an extension, but it not really being an extension. If you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And I, I appreciated him taking that stand against Holgerson, even if it meant Holgerson left. And then him also on the fly. So late in the process after the coaching carousel had seemingly stopped hopping in, being prepared, I mean, <laughs> not to peel back the curtain too much here, but in this business, like one of the best times business-wise for any site is when there's a massive coaching change and the coaching search goes on for weeks. Uh, you know, you're talking page views and signups and all this stuff, stories all the time. And, and the stories kind of write themselves. We were done in four friggin' days, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, it was, it was just done. It that was it. And, and that is a, I think a testament to what Lyons did, how he was prepared and how he kind of handled things and got that over with and done quickly, which I think was very important. He seems to be kind of, uh, you know, 
prepared, which with everything that's going on, you know, pandemic, uh, the coaching changes, all this stuff, he was ready for it. And he's adapted, as you noted. I also think it's important to note that I don't know how many of these decisions he made, um, but the people around him are good too. I think that's yeah. important. I mean, when you have a president like Gordon Gee, you're going to have the full support of the school for athletics. That makes things a lot easier. You're not sparring with the, the president of the school, president of the university over funding or whatever. You're not doing that. Uh, he's got Kelly. Kelly's in as his right-hand woman, um, by all accounts. She is, you know, a superstar. So he, he seems to have surrounded himself throughout that department and at that school. And again, I don't know if he surrounded himself with that or that was just happened to be what was around him. Um, and it's worked very well with him. Yeah. Zen's one. Uh, Steve Urias is like yep. his deputy. That's a good one, too. I mean, down to their compliance people, like they're on top of stuff. Um, Greg Featherson's a guy I talked to a bunch for help on stuff. And he knows this. You're right. I mean, and that's that is that is surrounding yourself because they've had some turnover in some of those spots and they brought himself in, too. I'm sure people are going, what did Mike do? How did he tick them off? Why is he saying so many nice things? But that, that actually is genuine. Like, I think those people are good at what they did, too. And not to dodge the part about the second part of that question, how long can they hang on to him? Will he leave? Where does he rank? Listen, he's he's totally different than Ed Passalong. But the AD job is just much different now. It's just It just is. Like, you, you're like a CEO. You're an executive of, of a major company. And before it was like, let's do schedules and let's get the contract with the lawyer and let them do it. it it's evolved so much. Luck was kind of a bridge in between. Where he was a bit of pass along, and he was a former, like literally a former quarterback at the university, and had that executive hat. And Lions is more of the executive type, so Luck was a good spot in between it. But um, I don't, I don't know where he ranks in the pecking order of all time athletic directors. Like Shouse is pretty good, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then will they keep him? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Remember, he was supposed to be the new guy that ran the ACC, and that never went anywhere. But that means that he's in the room, he's in that conversation because people like him. Um, what, what what job is he going to go to? Who knows? Because, I mean, this is where he went to school. He's from Parkersburg. He probably is pretty partial to this. But certainly if, if some major job opened up at the head of a conference or another Power 5 program he's got a history with, it could have happened, sure. And I think his kids are all out of the house now, I believe. Um, he may have one in high school. I don't I don't know. I haven't studied his family photo very much. But, um, sure, it could happen. But, man, don't worry about that. Because at the very worst, he's, again, got good people around. He's got the situation in, a, in smooth water, it wouldn't be hard to find a replacement, I don't think. Uh, second question from Birch's Pad with a, a, a quick follow-up from Dirty Frank, WVU. Um, how much longer do you believe Neil continues with dual defensive co- co-coordinators? I realize we only have about one year of experience with it, and while the defense has experienced market gains since Neil's inception, it seems to work well. It is preca- a precarious situation, though, with having two. Do you foresee any issues that could be festering with continuing with that setup? That was Birch's pad. And then Dirty Frank also asked, you know, saying he'd hoped that we would uh, address that question um, because he says that Brown is always a little dodgy about it and people tend to assume it's more complicated than it is. Can yeah. you maybe clarify what Adai and Leslie actually did as co-defensive leads last year while you're at it? All right, Chris, you be my co here. And if I make a mistake, you jump in. Good? Okay. Okay. They do not have co-coordinators. <laughs> okay. Why is he dodgy about it? Because he does not have co-coordinators. The co is a title. It pulls you away from another school. It keeps you happy in case another school comes calling. It justifies getting a little bit more money on your salary. Wait, am That's- I the silent co in this situation? Is that what you're telling me? 
I mean, I just didn't come over here for the, the free website subscription. I had a good thing going at the newspaper, right? <laughs> um, so it's a title, and, and you title people because you want to get them or you want to keep them. A guy's here for so long and says, I've been the position coach, blank, whatever, for four or five years. What am I doing? I'm thinking about leaving. All right, how about we give you a title? Okay. Um, and then, again, not not to – I don't I don't want to point out Matt Moore here, but Matt Moore was co-coordinator and isn't. And do titles matter? No. But now he's associate head coach. So do titles matter? Yeah, they do. And he, he makes good money, too. So that's that's just the way that goes. Um, so they do not have – like Neil Brown calls the plays but sometimes doesn't call the plays. And Parker's the coordinator, but Chad Scott's the co-coordinator. Do you think that Chad Scott has a whole lot of, like, offensive coordinator responsibilities on game day? No. They do that stuff from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Actually, probably Monday, Monday on because that's when you start game planning on everything. So how does it work? Well, their description last year was pretty simple and probably pretty accurate, at least on defense. Um, they would sit down and figure out, this team does this. We need to be in this situation with our front, which is Leslie, and this situation with our back end, which is a die. And they would go over things about calls to react, which is especially important against tempo. If they do this, our front is going to be in this, and you have to know to call that in the back end. Um, it's just holding those two hands together. You're not having one person call one play for the front and one person call one play from the back. You can do that. There's different people who do that. But our understanding was that Leslie called everything, but the back end knew what to do because of the conversations that Leslie and Adai had and that Adai shared with his people on the back end. So, um, you know, the, the hand was always close to the glove on this one, but they were in completely different pockets, too. I don't know if that makes sense. They worked together, but they were separate, too. To think that uh, they were calling plays on, uh, listen, it's third and long. That's a pass play. We'll let our pass guy, our co-coordinator, call the pass play. Not what happens. Our defensive coordinator, Jordan Leslie, is going to call the plays. That's what happened. Um, titles are, this is extremely, like, smart alecky and, and disingenuous, but, like, they're just they're just words. Um, they You are certainly involved in game planning, but, like, so is Jeff Coons, and I would imagine so is... Jackson and I would imagine so is Dante Wright like those guys watch film and they stick to their opponents and they're going to give tips because the more voices in the room the better now two people will distill those voices more toward one ultimately one person will have that voice but Leslie runs it front end is all his um, I think he'll probably benefit from being in the middle of the action now where he'll understand the front and the back a little bit more as a linebackers coach but Brown is there to help him out Shadon Brown is going to be there to help him out with the back end he's the secondary coach so those two will communicate during the week, and then they'll make sure that they're on the same page when the calls are coming so one end knows what the other end is doing at all times. Is that the long and short of it, you think? I think so. And I think that, you know the other part of that question was, is this going to cause a problem? I don't know if it's going to cause a problem. I think that, it, just like you said, everybody everybody seems to be on the same page here, that a lot of times these are just words. These are just words that, these are words that uh, quite frankly, are worth 50 to 100 extra thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. That's what those that's what those words are. That that's all it is. And I think when you get an extra fifty to a hundred thousand dollars in your pocket, that that means something. So I don't think there's any issues there. I do believe that, you know, once the season came to an end, yes, a die was saying, you know, hey, am I the man or am I not the man? You know, as far as defensive coordinator, answer seemingly was no, Leslie's the guy. And 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 that's gonna happen. Like you can't have six defensive coordinators and and you know, five offensive coordinators. So there's always going to be guys moving on that might not be the the coordinator or the head coach. And 
that is what it is. But as far as like, you know, guy being called co-defensive coordinator, but not truly calling the plays. No, that's everybody. Everybody's familiar with the situation. Everybody knows what it means and what it doesn't mean. So I don't think it's a, it's going to cause, uh, I believe that the phrase, you know, asking if he was asking if it was going to fester and cause issues between the staff. No. Also, no, you no. can't have one co-coordinator. Co implies a split. You have to have two co-coordinators, right? Uh-huh. If you have a coordinator and a co-coordinator, you don't have a coordinator. Co- a co-coordinator. <laughs> you have like a vice coordinator, right? If you right. have two co-coordinators, then okay. But you have a coordinator, some distance, and then the number two, which they call the co-coordinator. And that's just me being a word nerd. But like, that's it's it, it's you're right. They're words, and they keep people happy. But they also they put some pecking order some hierarchy in there too but um it, it's kind of like a vice president and a president um let's see this one i like i like this one from from strikeout 92 it's meant for both basketball and football and it's not exactly a specific question about wvu if you could have an elite offense or defense each and every year which would you choose which do you see being the more successful route long term just curious to hear you guys' thoughts since both sports are drastically different than they were 20 years ago. Well, there's, there's two there's two ways to answer this that are very different, but I think are, they're kind of fun to think about. I think the points per game is the most important stat in either sport. I just think you, you have to do it. Um, so if I had to pick one year, I'd be like, yeah, give me the, the top five scoring offense in college football or college basketball. But if I'm building a program and I wanted to have an annual strength that was going to be there no matter what, and then maybe the other one would – you know, depending on your quality of your roster and the continuity and, and maybe you have just really good skill position players or really good backcourt or whatever, um, it would rise. But like then you might say I'd rather have the elite defense every year because I can game up my offense around it. And if I'm only allowing so many points, because, again, points per game is the most important thing that would also apply to the defense. Um, if you have a really good defense every year, you don't have to be elite on offense. You could be really good, which isn't hard to reach. So not to cop out, but like maybe I need more parameters on it. But gun to my head, I would say give me the the hot shot offense every year. Um, but I think you can make a pretty good argument for defense because it gives you more more creativity on offense. You could do things that wrap around your personnel. You can zag another zig. You can be different to be good. You don't have to be quite as great to be successful if you have that lights out defense every year. You ready for the correct answer? Oh, hit me. <laughs> the answer is. Uh, one for each. I want for football. I want offense, uh, ten times out of ten. Yeah. Um, and and in basketball, I want defense. Uh, I'm just gonna look. I just pulled it up as I was thinking about it. That was the first thing that popped in my head, and I pulled up the stats as you were talking there. Uh, top three scoring offenses in 2020 in football, Al- for Power Five schools: Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Pretty three pretty good teams. Uh, top three scoring defenses, Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, um, three okay teams where they, they finished combined 13, 17, 17 and seven. Also so all decent. The Big Ten. Yeah. All the big 10. Uh, you think that might have some correlation to mm-hmm. bad offenses too? I don't know. Um, and then in basketball, I think you want the defenses. We've seen this work. Uh, you know, the first thing that topped in my mind when I was like, do I want offense or do I want defense? was, you know, that UVA team that won the national championship two years ago. And they just play such a slow, methodical defensive game. And I went and looked at the stats, and yeah, the number one offense in college basketball, Gonzaga. But, 
you don't see like you look at the next few Colgate, Southern Utah, Bryant. Okay. Um, and then you go to defense. Number one, Loyola, Chicago. Good team. Houston, two seed. Liberty, uh, number three in defense. Mm-hmm. Right there in the thing, too. UAB, Abilene Christian, uh, team that upset Texas in the NCAA tournament. Virginia, uh, again, I think they got upset in the tournament, but you know, what are they, four seed? Mm-hmm. So you're talking, if you look at the top 10 scoring defenses, I think you're going to see almost entirely all like NCAA tournament teams and good NCAA tournament teams. And you look at the offenses, it's just not... It's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, I see Gonzaga and I see Baylor. So you got me there. But everybody else kind of in that top 10 is meh. So I think I'd rather have defense in basketball, offense in football. That's a fun question. Yeah. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do we want to end on this one from Wicked Jester? Here, how, long have we, how long have we gone, Mike? Are we kidding here an hour? Came We're right close. about 48. All right, this one, this one might give you. I don't know how far you're going to go down this path, but uh, this is from Wicked Jester. I know there have been stories in the past that coaches didn't like and asked to be pulled, but are there times when quote unquote sources, <laughs> cough, cough, coaches have hinted at or flat out asked you to write them? I don't mean telling you what to put out, but mention something they would like to see an article about. Um, and then I believe someone in the thread followed up with the. Uh, I'm not going to answer story. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I just vowed I'm never, ever going to discuss that part of it. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's just, when I, when I worked at the newspaper, they, they said, do not ever comment on this because you don't want to become part of the story, and, which means whether I was or was not that person, then I, by saying that I am or I am not that person, that makes me part of the story, and that's absolutely the blown objectivity of a journalist. So I, I'm, I just told them I would never do that, and I'm, I'm going to I'm going to live up to that for as long That's as I okay, can. That's okay, because you just confused the heck out of me, so I'm, you, yeah. you did your job. <laughs> That's fine. So so pass there. Um, listen, you, you work so close to closes with coaches on not a daily basis because you don't have them all year, but during the season, you see them a couple times a week, um, and you'll hear from them at weird times on night because they'll get something passed to them or texted them, or they'll punch up your newspaper site or your website that you work for, and, and they'll have a look at something they don't like. Um, I've had extremely rare, I can think of hardly any, now that I think of it, where a coach has said, you can't publish that story or pull that story off. I've had people say, what are you getting at? How does this affect us? Whatever. Um, I'd rather you didn't do that, but like, I'd rather you didn't do that. It has to do with them getting in trouble or having to report something or, um, just the stuff that's natural. Um, when they have good news, they're very eager to share. <laughs> so listen, you get you absolutely get story ideas from coaches. Um, it's not like, Hey, write about this team because they're cheating. It's not, um, write about what this other school was giving their head coach because I'm not getting that because they have agents to do that behind the scenes. Like perhaps it gets, we're naive to say it doesn't get into that where an agent may call a reporter, but that's, I've had agents call me, but like, I'm not going to do their bidding for things. I don't make a commission. So I would say when it comes to good stories or things that are going well, yeah, you hear from coaches a lot on things like that because they have things they're proud of. They want to shine a light on an assistant coach or a player. They want to um, kind of get some some attention for something that they're doing or that maybe isn't getting quite the recognition they think it deserves. And that That's kind of an ethical thing. Like, should they be telling you to do that or not do that? Interesting. I don't know. Um, I've strongly suspected before that I was in rooms where reporters have been tipped off about questions to ask, which bothers me. That's kind of an interesting thing. Um, I think you and I have talked about that before mm-hmm. about 
um, I also think that like players will get in touch with you a lot and tell you things, which is kind of funny, like things that they're not happy about. Kind of like the difference between coaches is the exact opposite. They're not happy about this. Do they want to have a little bit more attention to what they're doing? That can happen. Yeah. But that's that's like mainstream stuff that you probably wouldn't think is surprising. To be honest with you, like no one's blowing the whistle on what's what they're doing or what is happening in their athletic department. So you're not going to get a lot of that. Um, and then they might encourage you to write some stuff that helps them. But like I've never had somebody say retract that or don't write that because one, it's not going to work. Like if they know me, they know that's not going to work. And it's probably going to make me more curious and more eager to dig in to figure out what's going on. I guess the question is now because with coaches and players so reachable and up until the pandemic around each other so much, you, you really kind of get to know people over a period of three, four years in college sports. They get comfortable with you and they trust you. How much of that is shaping the agenda? Because so many publications now are subscription driven where you're you're probably friendlier and more positive to the program, the team you cover because you're trying to keep your subscription base happy. Um, I know I'm reminded of that <laughs> somewhat frequently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, as you nod, yeah. yeah. Um, so like, do you think that there's a lot more of that now? Because there's so many 24-7 affiliates and the athletic is a little bit different, but kind of the same because it's athletic blank, you know, Pittsburgh sports or Oklahoma Sooners, whatever. You know, are they being friendlier and are they more accessible from people who want to get a story out there? And then all of a sudden the reporter is going to be smart to say, hey, that's a good idea that would make people happy. Um, I, I imagine there's a lot more of that than there was maybe five or 10 years ago. Yeah, I think there, there's obviously a little bit. That's that's where stories come from. They want stuff out to help kind of, hey, did you hear about this and stuff like that. But the having stories pulled down and taken out. Um, I'm, I know I've told you this story and I've been, I think I mentioned on the podcast of, of times where early on in, in my quote unquote career with this, the I, I would get calls and I, there was one time where I got calls at multiple calls at, at one in the morning and I was trying, I tried to ignore it, try to ignore it. And then I saw it was 304 area code. Now I'm thinking someone in my family has died since, you know, my whole family's from West Virginia and it's just a coach calling to yell at me for like at one in the morning for like 30 minutes about a story that went up. And I think Early on, when I was like brand new, I think I, I don't know if this was the same when you were just getting started. I do think there was some thought that from people within the program at the time that hey, this guy's just some kid, some some stupid kid starting a blog or whatever. We can, you know, they would threaten to take you know get my passes taken away. That they would do this, they would do that. Uh, I would never be at the games again. No one from our site would be there. Stories pulled down, blah, 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 blah. Um, that stopped after a couple times of me kind of calling their bluff. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, no, okay, I'm not pulling that down. And you can't take, you're going to take away my media pass because you don't like that, that story. Um, and that kind of moved on. I, I don't think, I don't think, God, I don't think I've got a call like that in a long time. Um, like you said, there are some, ah, why did, why did you have to do that? Like, or why did you have to write that? But no, pull that off your site now. Get that off your front page. N- none of that stuff. So uh, I, I think that time has gone. I think maybe there was some feeling, and maybe there still is, like all across the country, of feeling like you can kind of bully the the new guy, and and they'll acquiesce, hoping that you know they'll get some good news later. But um, no, that hadn't happened in a while. Yeah, 
I'll, I'll hear from coaches a lot. Um, I, <laughs> I wrote a story two weeks ago, kind of just how about they had recruits on campus. I was going to say, you're going to have to be more specific about which story you <laughs> just like football had recruits on campus coming to practice. And yeah. I had some conversations with people about that after the fact. And I didn't see the, the problem with that. It's legal. It's clever. Um, I did not speak to a coach about that, but coaches apparently wanted to pass along their curiosity as to why I was writing that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a bad thing by them either, because um, I would say that a lot of them probably didn't read the story. That's fairly common. But probably got a gist of, hey, Mike wrote a story about recruits visiting our campus, which is illegal unless you're doing it the way that West Virginia was doing it, which is legal. And I would say, Chris, commendable. Mm -hmm. So I think if people had read that or if they had gotten an understanding about it, I might not have gotten that phone call. But you have that interaction where I, someone says, why would you write this? And I explain it. And they go, oh, OK. And it goes back to the source of the question. The questioner goes, oh, OK, that makes sense. And it's not a big deal. Other times you'll get far more heavier and heated responses from coaches. But again, that's, that's part of the game, man. Like if you tell someone they don't do a good job, right. Um, of course they're going to get upset. I don't know why. Like I've, I've taken a lot of medicine. I have a great immune system, Chris, because <laughs> I've taken so much medicine in my life, but like the people can have those conversations with me too. I'm not, I'm not scared of that either. Like if, if someone says that you need to be enlightened, Mike, Hey, take five minutes and enlighten me. I'll be better on right. the other of it. So hopefully that stuff does happen too. But the other part about it is too, like last week, the Culver thing, I, it was recommended I retract my story. Why? Because I knew more than they did. Like, I'm not doing that. So I wonder if also now, because the media is such a vulnerable or susceptible or penetrable, whatever you want to call it, um, entity now that maybe thinks, like you're saying, maybe you can bully the new guy. Well, maybe you can bully the veteran guy because he doesn't want to be getting tweeted at or he doesn't want to be you know ridiculed or he doesn't want to be whatever we went through for a period of 12 hours on last monday um maybe you can get that person to wilt because the pending threat of that experience again talking to the wrong guy on that one because that, that's not going to bother me but i can see that happen in other places too where you can probably push somebody into a corner and make them act because the constitution of the media is a little bit different now. I think people are just tired of getting, people are tired of being tired. I think of all the crap they have to deal with from outside people, especially social media. I love it. That's hey, that's a good way to end that. That's a good way to end that on podcast. I, cause I, you mentioned getting rid of it on so, I, Sunday. I did not tweet until the end of the night. I was like, I just am not, I'm not doing anything on Facebook. I'm not doing anything on Twitter. It was a lovely, lovely day, Michael, <laughs> just a lovely day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think that's a great way to end. I, I agree with what you're saying there. I, I could, I, I think, I do believe there is a push there from 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 schools, knowing the media landscape and knowing you know that they're trying to push their own media, their in-house media instead, uh, knowing that there's a lot of competition, and also knowing that some of the quote-unquote competition is just some kid fan that just wants to be happy or, or wants the team to like them and, and they think they can push them around. And, and so I think there is some of that and there's some prodding to see if how much they can influence it. And thankfully um, that's not happened. If you, if you haven't noticed that's not happening on our site recently, because we've certainly got the other phone calls of uh, why, why did you put that? That does happen. Well, yes. uh, let's rush and put this on social media. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. Let's get it out and in front of as many ears and as many coaches as possible. Yeah, so until our phone rings, not long after this goes up, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.